You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Good morning, everybody. If I don't do that, my glasses fog up from these little micro saunas in here, so... I'm so glad this today. I'm so excited about today. This morning I got up. I was so excited, and we went into elder prayer, and everybody was like, "Oh, like this." It was like it was raining, and we had we had a great uh, elder getaway retreat this weekend. Everybody was just kind of tired, and just just that relaxing in the presence of God, kind of morning. But I knew that God was up to something, and I want to tell you that God is up to something in your life, and I want you to be a person that expects God to move and expects God to come through mightily. And I want, I want you to be a person that expects God to make the pieces of the puzzle fit in place to where you know that you know that you know that you're in the will of God and you know that He's good. You know that His hand is on your shoulder. His, 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 uh, His word is guiding you and giving you strength and giving you hope because we can't do this in our own strength. We can't do this in our own ingenuity. And we try to think our way into the kingdom, and that's not going to happen. We have to free fall into the hands of God uh, so that he will sustain us. Amen. We're talking about uh, the Abrahamic covenant. And uh, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I talked about uh, Abraham's father, Terah, going to, to Canaan, but they stopped in Haran. I want to encourage you. I want to keep encouraging you. Do not settle for less than God's highest for you. God has his highest plan for you in your marriage. He has his high, high plan and calling for your children. He has this uh, a huge dream for you that's bigger than your dream. And don't settle for less than that. Uh, Abraham's father. We don't know the full story because the Bible doesn't tell us, but he left Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, but he stopped in Haran. Don't let horrible things in this life derail you from God's plan. Don't use tough times as an excuse to stop allowing God to grow you and to mature you and to take you uh, to the next level uh, that he has for you, the next step uh, that he has for you. And so... Last week we spoke about the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant where God comes to uh, Abraham and says, leave your country, leave your people, and leave your family. And that is not easy. It's not easy to do that. In our thinking to make the kingdom of God a higher priority than our nationalistic, patriotic feeling toward our nation or the type of people that we love to hang out with or the people that have their favorite team as my favorite team. You know, the people that we relate to and connect with and our own family. Uh, Higher priority, the kingdom. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And that's not easy to do. It requires faith. It not only requires faith, it requires great faith. And so let's uh, read some of these scriptures uh, once again. Genesis 11, starting in verse 31. One day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. And that continues straight into the next chapter. 
The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt so that all the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's a command and a promise. Uh, you will be blessed and you will be a blessing. So Abram departed as the Lord instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. By the way, he was 100 years old when, when Isaac was born. That promise right here, it was 25 years later that it came to fruition. Have you waited 25 years for a promise? And God only spoke. We think that God was talking to Abram every day. He only spoke. The Bible says he only spoke to him three or four times in between that time. And so I want to encourage you to continue that faith walk, something you heard from the Lord years and years ago, and continue on and believe God for that. But not the promise in your image. Let it happen as God wants it to. Sometimes we get this idea, we get this word, and we have it all figured out. And God says, no, I gave you a word, but that's not how it's going to look like. So be open to how God makes it uh, come to pass. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and he headed for the land of Canaan. So, number one, great faith was required for Abraham. Uh, in fact, so much faith that, uh, and, and not only did Abraham walked successfully in this walk of faith. He's called the father of faith. That's a nickname for him, the father of faith, Abraham. And he's listed in Hebrews 11, which has the nickname of the Faith Hall of Fame. The guys that really, really stood out there. And there's a long old list of, of guys that walked by faith and saw the promise of God fulfilled and don't forget, keep reading down in the chapter, there's another long list of guys that walked in faith and never saw the completion of the promise. Your call is to walk that walk of faith, not necessarily to see that completion of promise. One of the things that derails people the most in, in this world is the loss of a loved one. It derails us. It derailed me when my mom died when I was five years old. It derailed me when my, when my dad died. Not as much as that, your earlier one, but, you know, just things that, that knock us off our, you know, where we were standing. We were, thought we were steady, and then something comes along there. I want to I just say this, speak a little bit of truth to you here today. Everything that we, that we hear from the Word of God is truth. It's true. Here's, here's the truth, and we don't like to hear it sometimes. None of us make it out of here alive. We won't. And we all, we're all going to die because of the same disease, and that disease is called sin. And it might manifest itself in a sickness or a physical disease. It might manifest itself in old age. God didn't design us to die at 70 or 80 or 90. He designed us to live with him. The first people that lived on this earth lived for hundreds of years. And that was because of sin in their life. And God has a, 
place for us, a home for us in eternity where we'll live with him forever. This world has been under the condemnation of sin. The Bible says that all of creation groans under the weight of sin. So the question is not what's... We, we live for this pilgrimage we're on. We live for this day-to-day life that we're in. We make all our plans and everything for now when Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in eternity where wrath, wrath, moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves don't steal, all right? And so lay up for treasures then. And it requires great faith. So here's this... This thing uh, about faith in Hebrews 11. Faith is a confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we can't see. Down in verse 8, it says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Friends, we are pilgrims. This is not all there is. We think it is a lot. We often live as it is. But there is more. And each one of us will stand before Almighty God and have to give an account. And much of us sitting here today, we've received a lot of truth. And we have to deal with that truth. And live with that truth and be accountable for that truth. So this thing, faith, faith is a foundation stone. It's a cornerstone. It's a a very deep um, value that believers have. It is is amazing to me. It's not faith in faith. It's not like this. All right? I'm going to bench press 250 pounds. It's not that. It's, It's faith in God. It's faith in God's word. He's the object of our faith. We're not, it's not faith in ourselves or faith in positive thinking or, or, or anything like that. It's faith in the word of God. In fact, faith is, is, is defined as faith is acting upon what God said and believing as if it already happened so you can act on it. And that's, that's his great thing. That's why it's called our faith. That's why it's called a walk of faith. That's why Paul said, as you, be- as you received him, we believed him by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 4, by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works. We didn't earn our way to heaven, uh, lest anyone should boast. It is this wonderful gift that we say yes and we respond to the call of God. Now, everything that acquires our salvation has been paid for by Jesus. And our faith that we have to respond to that was also given to us by God. So it's all given to us by God. However, God somehow, some way, He chose to give us this response mechanism where we must reach out and take hold of this for which uh, Christ died for us, all right? So, you can't even make God happy without faith. Did you know that? You cannot please God without faith. Hebrews eleven six, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him, must believe 
that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely or diligently seek him. God wants people and he's looking for people who are looking for him. And he will reward you for that. I love that. I love this thing about faith. I love this cornerstone. Read Hebrews or yeah, Hebrews 6, 1, uh, 1 and 2 and 3. Those are cornerstones, foundations of the faith, things that are absolutely necess- uh, nece- uh, necessity, necessary for us. Sorry, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm thinking faster than I can talk. So, and the list there is repentance, authentic repentance to come to God. That's the gospel. We we have to acknowledge that we are sinners. And the depths of sin in our life that maybe nobody knows about but us, we have to acknowledge that before God in total honesty and freedom. That's, that's true heartfelt repentance. That's a gift, actually. You have to ask for that if, if you don't have it. If you think, oh, I never did anything wrong. I, re- I remember my dad, uh, he was witnessing to a guy, and he goes, I've, I'm not a sinner. He goes, the worst thing I've ever done is go to a baseball game. And my dad goes, that's a sin. And so anyway, this guy thought that it was a sin or something. And, and we acknowledge that the Bible says the human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above anything else. Who can even understand it? And so we have to come to God by repentance. And then we have faith toward God. And then those are foundational things that we need to know. And then number two we have here that obedience is required. Faith is not just thinking about something, or just believing. Faith is actually, uh, requires uh, an action. It is uh, not passive. It's an action verb. And the promises of God are activated by faith. God has thousands of promises in His Word. Thousands of promises. And they're activated by faith. In other words, you read it, you believe it, and then you start acting as if it's already happening. It's not blind following. It's called faith. You activated your faith today in believing that your chair would hold you up. You came in, you believed that that chair would hold you up this morning, then you acted on it. You sat down. Logan is... It's not beyond possibility that he would come in and hacksaw one or two of those legs off in the middle of the night. You don't know which one. But you believe that chair would hold you. So it it becomes so simple. We have faith in these things. There's all kinds of... You have faith that your car brakes are going to work. Because you get in the car, you strap on the seatbelt, and you push go. You believe that you can stop. If your brakes, brakes didn't work and you knew it, you wouldn't get in that car. All right? We act we we live by faith all the time. We need to be as comfortable with what God says and we act upon that and and uh, live by that the same way. So, but you know what? Obedience is not always easy. It's really not. It wasn't easy for Abraham to leave everything he knew, his inheritance, everything that was familiar, leave his family. It, it wasn't easy to do that. Obedience is not easy. No one is saying that it is. And it seems like to me, and I would like, I'm going to ask for a show. I didn't do this in last service, but I think you guys are going to participate. I'd like a show of hands because I'd honestly like to know how many of you does it seem like the more you say yes to God, the more the attacks seem to come? All right. 
It, it just works out that way. The devil doesn't like it when you say yes to God. Whether you give your heart to God, whether you're raising your kids up in, in the Word of God, uh, whatever it is, where, you, where you're living by faith, where you're re- representing the light and the goodness of God in your sphere, the devil doesn't like that. He will try to derail you. He really will. I know, I know, just looking around this room, I know enough to know that there's a lot of stuff going on in here. And I'll tell you what, keep your eyes on Jesus. He will walk you through that. He never promised that you wouldn't go through a storm, but he did promise that he would be with you through the storm. And that's a big deal. Uh, James McDonald says, it's like the person who's filled with concerns and wants to have hope, but has never read the Bible. If God's word is full of hope and full of promises, but you never read this to get those, it doesn't make sense to me. How, how many scriptures do you know? How many, how many uh, Bible verses have you memorized? How many are on the tip of your tongue? And here's the, here's the thing. No wonder we're filled with anxiety and fear. We don't have anything to hold on to. It's like being tossed about in a storm in the angry sea. Oh, that movie is really good. The one that just came out. Yeah, the Coast Guard guys. Man, I do not want to be in a storm in the sea. That thing was so scary. But it's like being tossed around in the sea and you don't have anything to hold on to. But if you, if you can imagine yourself in a stormy sea and you see a buoy not too far away and you can get to that, if you can just get there and hold on to it, well, that thing is still moving around and shaking all over too, but it's anchored by a cable to bedrock. And so you know you're holding on to something. Sometimes that's how it is. Our walk of faith, holding on to something is anchored to bedrock. Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation. It's God's promises that give us hope. Psalm 119 is, is full of that. The, the Word of God sustains us, directs us, keeps us from sin, guides us, uh, encourages us. It, it's like food uh, for us. And, and so... Get your heart around some of the awesomely great and treasured promises of God. I think I wrote that one down. Hold on to what's in God's Word. I want to read some promises to you from the Word of God. Cast your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. He'll never let the righteous fall. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not any of his benefits, Psalm 103 says. You know what praise the Lord, O my soul means? That's, the, that's David's way or an older way of saying, praise the Lord, I tell myself. Self, praise the Lord. Come on, wake up here. Praise the Lord. Don't forget what he's done for you. He's saved you. He's forgiven all your sins. He's healed all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfy your desires with good things. So that your youth, everybody say amen. Your youth is renewed like the eagles. Get some scriptures on the Google. Google the top hundred promises in the Bible. Or the top hundred Bible verses or something in some way. And some of you are sitting there saying, I can't memorize. I was never good at that in school. Let me tell you, 
you can memorize the Word of God. You can get up in the morning. <clears throat> you can say, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Yeah. You mean you couldn't learn that? I'll prove it to you that you could learn that. If I said everyone comes back here this afternoon at 5 o'clock and I'll give you a $1,000 bill if you can say that verse. It has to do with motivation. And if you want to hold on to something true and eternal, something that nobody can ever take away, get it in your heart is the word of God. Because if you're not in a difficult situation... Today, you will be at some points. The enemy hates you, hates what you're doing, and will do whatever he can to drag you down. But God's word will fill you with courage. I love that. Number three here, uh, we have being a blessing is required. The Cornerstone Biblical Commentary says that Abram was still commanded to be a blessing. It is still an imperative, a command. This imperative is followed by three more promises. Because of the sequential construction of the clauses, the entire call of Abram follows a chain of reaction beginning with his getting out of Ur. Okay, I want you to memorize that. This structure also emphasizes that his call also had a purpose to be a blessing. God blessed Abraham not just so that he could wallow in his blessing. He blessed Abraham so that Abraham could in turn bless others. God blesses us not so that we can just sit around and say, oh, I'm so blessed, I'm so, I'm so blessed. But God expects you to take that blessing and in turn be a blessing to others so that he can bless you back with more so that you can bless others with more. And you see all during this time your faith is growing and building and you become a a greater impact in the arena that God has called you. So the results of Abraham's faith, this big thing about faith, which is something to hold on to, something to look forward to, something that makes the difficult doable. The results are, number one, blessing. He said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. Now this was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before King David or King Solomon when Israel was a great nation. And not only great in impact, but great in numbers and great in influence. And it continues to this day. I'll I'll bless you and make you famous. God said this to Abraham. When Abraham had nothing, he didn't have a church. He didn't have a rabbi. He didn't have a a youth class. He didn't have a Sunday school to take Isaac to. He didn't have anything except his relationship with God. The little that he knew, he trusted and believed in God to do that. And, and God said, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I think, it's, I think it's interesting. That's still true today. God is blessing his people. We look at the political scene. I don't want to talk about politics. politics. I don't want to talk about war today. I just, it's going to come up in an illustration that I want to give you right now. And, uh, my dad, as a pastor, he loved the end times. He loved teaching on eschatology. He loved the charts and all this kind of stuff. Terry's dad loved that too, and they were best friends. And they argued about when the rapture would take place. And they were best friends. And they would get in, you know. I remember once 
one of the one of the last time my dad died about twelve years ago, and one of the last times that we we were with them and they said goodbye. Um, uh, uh, Terry's dad said, "See you, Stan. Jesus can go back today." My dad would say, "Okay, Dana, uh, but first, all the nations need to hear, or something like this." They would just they'd go back and forth like this, and they were friends. So we just grew up under that. So I'm a pan tribulation millennialist. I think it's all going to pan out, and so I'm living like Jesus can come back any moment. And I'm living like I have a big job to do, and I hope he delays so that I can tell more people about Jesus. So anyway, we just trust him. But anyway, so my dad, when, when I was, uh, I think, probably ninth grade or something, we, my dad preached at this church for two weeks as a guest speaker. It was across town. We had to drive about an hour to get there. And on the first Sunday we went there, it was just this little country church, maybe a third full, you know, nice people, what I remember. We had some second cousins that went there and... And so we were looking forward to playing hockey after, uh, after church. It was in Canada. And, and um, my dad was preaching about, and somewhere he was preaching about the end times. He said, listen, Jesus can't come back until the Jews have the Temple Mount here. You know, this is, they're not occupied. Well, that Friday was the Six-Day War. And some of you don't know that. Check up on it. Ask some people. There's a few of you here that know about it. Ask Matt. He knows everything. Where is he? Where's Matt? Okay, ask Matt. He knows everything. So, um, uh, I just remember this. I remember that, that not very many Israelis died in that war where all the Arab nations came around on little, tiny, little Israel who God said, I will bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. So they all came in, and in all those stations, they got slaughtered. All the tank wars, read about the battles, and some of the uh, Arab tank commanders said that fire came from heaven. I'm not preaching against Arabs. We love them. Jesus died for them. But it just happened, and so fire came from heaven, and, and, and God delivered little Israel from all these other nations. And thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Arabs died in that little six-day war, and Israel just had a very small number of casualties. It was so ridiculous that on national news, Walter Cronkite says, and now for our report today. <laughs> on the six-day war, he goes, there was, he goes, there were so many hundreds of casualties on the Arab side, and he goes, in Israel, there was 27 lives lost, 20 chickens and seven cows. I mean, it's just, it was just, he, had, he started chuckling. He goes, this is just a wipeout. And do you know why? You know, the world doesn't understand that, but we know that God keeps his promises. And we are, Paul says in Philippians 3.3, that we are the circumcision of today. God's not concerned of circumcision of the flesh today. He's concerned about the circumcision of our heart. Are we part of his? And God's promises follow through to us to, to this day. And he said to Abraham, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. So this is an ongoing walk of faith. So then, number two, more obedience is required. Uh, So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and they headed for the land of Canaan when they arrived in Canaan. What did he do? He obeyed. God blessed him and required obedience. He obeyed. 
Then God blessed him some more. Then he required more obedience. Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem, and then he set up a camp beside the yoke of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Number three, more blessing. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I'll give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then we have an ongoing cycle of God gives Abraham some things to do. I want you to sacrifice your son Lot. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And Abraham obeyed. And that's why he's listed in the hall of fame, fame, faith hall of fame. And so Abraham's uh, nephew Lot, they separated because the land was not enough to sustain both of their herds. So Lot took down the grassy valley where Sodom and Gomorrah were and lived down there. And Abraham goes over here. And then pretty soon Lot gets in trouble because some kings in some other cities came and, and uh, kidnapped and stole all the people in these kingdoms. So kings in those days was like the warlord of a town or a city. That's what a king was. And so three or four or five kings would get together, have a fight, go ransack these other guys, raid them and haul them all off. And so Abraham goes and rescues uh, Lot and these whole cities that were captured. Now here's Abraham. He was so wealthy. I don't know if anybody in here, maybe somebody has a private security guard at their house. But Abraham had over 300 trained men of war. Like this elite fighting force, they went and tracked all these guys down and rescued them all. And here's where we come in in Genesis 14. Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and the other captives. After Abram returned from his victory over Kedor Lamer and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheveh, that is, King's Valley, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, later to become Jerusalem, and a priest of the Most High God, brought Abraham some bread and wine. Now, Melchizedek is thought by most theologians to be a, a pre-New uh, Testament picture of Christ, and that's who he was, the high priest of the Mo- of Most High God. And he's actually, as God, he's blessing Abraham. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham with this blessing, Blessed be Abram by God Most High. So he pronounces this blessing on Abraham, who has defeated the enemies, your enemies for you, saying, this was God who did this, Abraham, not you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. This is the first picture of tithing to worship God in the Bible. Abram gave him a tenth. That's what the word tithe means, a tenth. So Abram recovered all these goods, all this plunder, and, and, and gave a tenth to the Lord and dedicated it to the Lord. And then we see Isaac and, and Jacob, and, and then it became law with, with Moses hundreds of years later, over 400 years later. And a lot of times people today say, oh, you know, tithing, that's, that thing is, is law. Well, it was in the law, but it began with the father of faith, a guy who trusted God with everything, with his life and his future and his dreams and his hopes. And he, and he put his money where his mouth was. And in Jesus, in the New Testament, Jesus gives us that same faith statement this way. He says, give and it will, will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, Jesus is not just talking about finances here. He's talking about grace. He's talking about mercy and forgiveness. As, 
as God has forgiven you, we forgive others. And then Jesus says, with the measure you measure, it will be measured back to you. And so, whether you extend forgiveness, as much forgiveness as you extend, as much as you sow financially into the kingdom, it's going to be measured back to you. This week we were unloading three truckloads of bark for our new playground back there. You should go look at it. It's out there up, ready to go. And uh, if you're over 12, stay off. And so... uh, We... So the other day we were shoveling and we had some of these little, little tiny little shovels and then Tyler brings out this big snow shovel, you know? And so if, you, if you're going to measure, measure to the same measure you use to give grace or forgiveness or so financially. So I'm going to, okay, God, I'm going to put my offering in. Here's a teaspoon right here and I'm going to put this right here. God measures back to you. With a teaspoon. It says right here, Jesus says, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to forgive you, maybe. All right, I'll extend a little bit of forgiveness and grace over here. How about getting a big shovel full and see God multiply it? That's how it's going to be measured back to you. Trusting God with our friendships and relationships, trusting God with our finances, trusting God in every way, walking in this walk of faith so that God can trust you with a blessing, not so that you keep it and hoard it. Many of us are happy to just wallow in our blessing. Wallow, you usually think of pigs in mud, right? A lot of times we just wallow in our blessing. As a nation, not us, not Westside, not you, but as a nation of people, and in the nation, <laughs> we're doing of uh, correct uh, air quotes. Anyway, so um, as, a as a nation, we're wallowing in blessing. We really are. We are. We've been blessed out of our socks. No nation in the history of the world has been blessed as much as we are. And the reason we're blessed is because we follow God in faith. Go read the quote on William Bradford at Plymouth Rock when he said, we have landed on this location as a stepping stone to take the gospel to this continent. You didn't learn that in school. But the first people here came here to bring the gospel. And they opened doors. Uh, And this nation was built upon people promising to God. We've been blessed and we're just wallowing in blessing. And it's so hard for us to forgive others. God extended his forgiveness to us. We must open the floodgates of our heart to extend mercy and forgiveness to others. Mercy is giving people what they don't deserve. We didn't deserve his mercy. He gave it to us freely. And extend that blessing in other areas as well. I'm so glad that Abraham was the father of faith and gave us such a great... uh, a great gift uh, to follow, to be able to follow. Father, thank you for this word. I thank you for encouraging us today. I thank you for a celebration of Dave and Ashley's pregnancy and putting in five new deacon couples. God, we are so blessed. Help us in turn, God, to obey you uh, absolutely without any, any, any hesitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we have a, a great privilege uh, this morning. We First service, we prayed in. Uh, five new couples on our uh, diaconate here at West Side, and so just a reminder: we have uh, three teams of ministry here at West Side. The 
the team that I'm going to talk about first, that's the eldership. Uh, the elders are the guys that are in charge with church government. Just like mom and dad are in charge of, church, or of home government. Uh, Peter says they're the mature ones. They oversee all the aspects of the household and its affairs, and they do it with a shepherd's heart. In, in the church here, the elders uh, the, are the uh, government team. We're in charge of doctrine, discipline, and di- direction. Doctrine is what we teach, what we believe as, as a church in unity. A vision is where we're headed as a church, what God's called us to do in our sphere of influence. And then uh, discipline to keep things done decently and in order in the biblical way to make sure that the entire household and body is protected. You know, your kids are most secure when you have good boundaries and, and, and good uh, guidelines in your home. And then we have our leadership team. That's comprised of our elders and our deacons. And uh, they lead like this, not from above domineering, uh, not from under like doing all the work instead of uh, everybody uh, pitching in, uh, but they lead like this. They say, follow me as I follow Christ. And I love that because there is so much room and latitude. Uh, You might be a worshiper and you say, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm following Christ, using my gifts to bring the body into worship. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'm impacting the city in the area of the poor or justice. Uh, Follow me as I follow Christ. I'm a school teacher and let's let's impact uh, our school district for the kingdom. Follow me in my school as I follow Christ. Follow me in my neighborhood. Follow me. This is what I get to say. Follow me in church leadership as I follow Christ. And so I'm so thankful that we have a great uh, leadership team here at the church. It's not doing anything but being examples to the flock ahead. And the most important team we have here is the ministry team. Uh, That is comprised of the saints, the elders and deacons and the saints, all of us who are saints, all of us who have submitted our our need to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We all have ministry in us. We all can lay hands on the sick and see God heal them. We can all share the love and generosity of God in our sphere of influence. We can all walk into a hospital and pray for them. We can all share Jesus uh, with family and friends and those who God has put in our path. That's the most important team. That's the A team is the ministry team uh, that we have here at Westside. That being said, we've got five new couples we're going to... Uh, pray over again uh, in this service. This is our third of our weekend uh, or our weekly services, the third of our weekly, three weekly services right now. And uh, we're debating whether Thursday night is actually a weekend. So there's on, so it's now weekly services. So this is the third of our weekly services. And so anyway, we're so glad you're here. We're, we're so glad that you can celebrate in this wonderful time. So will those guys uh, come on up here again? So we've already laid hands on them and set them as, as deacons so they can be redeaconed right now and uh, just make sure it sticks or something like that. And um, we have Matt and Margot Frost, Brian and Casey Webb, uh, Anderson uh, 2.2, Anderson uh, 1.4, and uh, that's because they came first and they have four kids. They came next and they have two kids here. And then we have Chuck and Kelly Thuring. We're so happy. Let's give them a big hand. So here's the thing. When I was talking about leadership leading, follow me as I follow Christ, these guys are already doing it. These guys uh, feel in God that God has called them to church leadership. He's anointed them and given them the grace for this task. And so we want to affirm that and confirm that.
And so I'm going to ask the elders and their wives if they would come up. And um, I want to talk over them. You want to say again? Okay. All right. We had several words the first time. I'm going to give a word this time to you guys. And I gave you a copy of this uh, already and a little bit of a um, private word for each of you. But I want to read these verses over, over you. Luke 12, 42 to 44. And the Lord replied, A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. And Paul says to Timothy, he says, You have heard me teach the things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others also. And so also Philippians 1.6, I am sure that God who began a good work in you will perfect it, will mature it in you, will bring it to completion. For how long? Until the day of Jesus Christ. And so I'm so glad that you guys are on the leadership team, and we just want to pray over you and ask God to bless you and anoint you for this. If, you, if you're part of Westside Church, God has placed you here. Could you please, and anybody else who wants to bless them, put your hand up and agree in prayer as we pray uh, for these folks. Father, thank you uh, for the Andersons, the Andersons, the Thurians, the Webbs, and the Frost. God, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would enrich them and encourage them. I pray that you'd wake them up in the middle of of the night with things to pray for, for your sheep, for your people here as they represent Jesus uh, to this flock and to their sphere of influence. Father, I pray that you would equip them with spiritual gifts. I pray that you would grace them with huge drops of grace uh, where they would be able to rely upon you and depend upon you. And we as a body, we receive their leadership and we welcome their leadership and we pray that you would... Uh, uh, continue working in this body, growing in influence, representing the love and the light of the gospel of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. If God gave you a word for them, sometimes people get prophetic words while we're praying. Please write that down. If it was for an individual, just give that to them, a scripture verse or something like that to bring encouragement. God bless you guys.